Mother Knows Death presents External Exams with Nicole and Jemmy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Mother Knows Death. On this week's external exam, we will be talking to a forensic expert. And we always talk about forensic cases on Mother Knows Death. And we just, we know so much about these stories, but we don't know who is involved in solving these crimes and helping to figure out what happened in these cases. So I thought it would be perfect to talk to an old friend of mine. Her name is Antoinette Campbell. And not only is she a forensic scientist, but she is also the founder of the Association of Women in Forensic Science, which is a nonprofit organization to help people provide networking opportunities, resources, and programs for female college students who are working in forensics, as well as youth that is interested in forensics. So welcome today. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. We're going to learn all about your really awesome job, because I remember when I first met you, I had no idea that this job even existed. So I was asking you a thousand questions. So I thought, all right, I'll just ask the same questions again, because I think everybody will be really interested. So um, you went to Temple University here in Philadelphia around 20 years ago, and you majored in chemistry. So can you tell us because we know obviously you work in forensics, but before you you started college around the same exact time that I did, and I know the internet existed, I guess, but I didn't have access to it. So I had asked around the old fashioned way. So how did you get introduced to forensics? Yeah, same with me. Um, so the internet had just became uh, popular, well, came on the scene when I started college. And I found out about the field by accident. I didn't know that with my chemistry background, I could become a forensic chemist. So I think I was in either, it might have been my junior year, I went to a career fair um, at Temple. And the water department was there. The Philadelphia Water Department was there. They were promoting careers to work as an analytical chemist. So I applied and I got a letter in the mail that I could come for an interview tour or something like that. So I said, okay, this sounds like something I want to do. But then I found out that if you apply to be a chemist with the city, with Philly, you would be considered by uh, the police, the water and health department. So I ended up on an interview at the chemistry lab at the Philly police department at 8th and Race, that's their headquarters. Well, they used to be there at 8th and Race. They moved on Broad Street. And um, I went on an interview. And during that time, I was working as a pharmacy technician at the uh, the Rite Aid Pharmacy around my way. So I was a pre-pharmacy major, and I just knew I was going to become a pharmacist. And then I got interested immediately in being a forensic chemist. And then I was hired to work in the chem lab. And that was back in night. Uh, no, that was in 2001. So I graduated in 2000. I started in uh, 2001 at A from Race, the chemistry lab with the Philly police. So, And you worked there for 20 years, right? I worked there for 20 years. I left about two years ago, April, two years ago. So yeah, that that's, that's really cool. So you have a lot of experience in this. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about 
what you did working in the police lab. Like if if you work at the police department, do you have to be a, a cop? Do you have to go through any training where you could just be a scientist working there? So if you want to be a forensic scientist with any law enforcement agency, so we're talking about fully police, you have to have at least a bachelor's in science. So most of my colleagues had their bachelor's in chemistry in a chemistry laboratory. So I started off working at the headquarters in the chem lab analyzing drugs. So we analyze confiscated drugs. We even get prescription drugs. So drugs that are coming from the streets, they get uh, transported to our laboratory by the police and then we have to analyze it. But you definitely have to have a background in science to work as a forensic scientist. Is this a job that you have to get certification for or they train you on the job just with your bachelor's degree? Yeah, so you do receive on-the-job training. The training is pretty intense. When I left, it was longer, so it was taking about two years, depending on which discipline you would go into. So you don't have to get a certification, but you do need a bachelor's at minimum. Now, I do know people who worked in different units, like criminalistics, that had their master's degrees and forensic science but many of them had at least a bachelor's in either chemistry or biology. So you do get on-the-job training. I know a lot of people are concerned about that, but you can apply to be a forensic scientist with a bachelor's in science. Okay, that's that's good to know because I know a lot of kids end up going to school, they go to college, and they just get these generalized degrees in biology and chemistry, and they graduate and they say, I don't know what to do with my life. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it's good to be able to tell people that because I always tell people to usually go to college for a program where they can learn a skill like to work in the lab and get certified, at least for a medical lab anyway. But that's really good to know because I know a lot of really smart people that that I'm thinking about calling after this interview, actually, to tell them like, hey, you know, you can try to do this. Yeah. So you said so this is what was really interesting to me when when I met you, because I didn't really understand when you said that you did drug testing. I had only rotated at the medical examiner's office at that point. I know that we tested, you know, urine, vitreous fluid and, and body tissues on humans. But I didn't even realize that there was a whole separate field to test drugs. So can you you said you would get drugs off the street. Can you give us an example of how these drugs that you received would be helpful in forensic investigations? So, for example, if uh, someone is uh, charged with drug possession or distribution and manufacturing, those drugs will be transported to us by the police officers or detectives. So they have to go through processing at the precinct. The drugs are field tested, not all drugs, but certain drugs are pre uh, field tested. And when we receive the drugs in our custody, it, for example, I'll say cocaine. There are different wet chemical tests that we perform. We also do instrumental analysis. And our job is to confirm the presence of a controlled substance. So it's alleged when we receive if that is actually the drug we are looking for. If we receive a powder, we can't say like, oh, this is cocaine or this is crack or 
whatever type of drug or meth, we have to actually test it. We have to do instrumental analysis. For example, one of it, one of the instruments would be like mass GC mass spec. And then when we confirm the presence of that drug, we then have to write up laboratory reports and then we may be called to um, municipal or federal court. So you also have to test have to testify in court as an expert witness as well. So and, and you've had to do that, I'm assuming. Yes. So I, I had to testify in court plenty of times. There is a different difference between testifying in municipal municipal or federal court. You know, some lawyers are more knowledgeable than others. So it depends. What- Can you give us an example? I mean, I know, obviously, you can't say much on a lot of things, but of some <clears throat> type of case that you worked on where you would have had to go to court to testify on that. Is that something you're allowed to talk yeah, about? Yeah, definitely. Like a lot of things is public information and I don't work in the laboratory anymore. But in general, I've had cases kilos of cocaine or heroin. You see a lot of those type of drugs. And if you're called to court on that type of case, then you have to go and testify. Now, you're not going to remember every case that you analyze. So that's why when you're called to court, the lawyer is supposed to prep you for the case or go over certain questions they're going to ask you so that they can get more information about the type of case it is. So when you go to testify, you can bring your case file with you because you are prepping your case file for each case that you analyze, for each type of uh, drug case that you analyze. So it's at that point, it's a criminal investigation. We see the drugs when it is already that person has been charged with a drug crime. They violated a drug law. So that's how we get it. So when you say you find, let's say you find kiloids, kilo, uh, I can't say the word, of um, cocaine, mm-hmm. if they if they find a lot of it on the field, let's say, would they bring all of that to you in the drug lab or just to so you could say there's definitely this drug and there's this much of it? Because I know that that has to do with the charges, depending on how much a person has. It, it depends on the amount of drugs. So if it's a case that is federal, then that will go to the the local DEA laboratory. But if it's something that is in our jurisdiction that we could get, then it will go to our lab. So it, it depends um, on the weight because we had to meet mandatory minimum guidelines while we were analyzing drugs. We have to weigh the drugs. So we definitely have seen all types of drugs. Like I've seen heroin, I've analyzed heroin. We we get a lot of heroin and silly, unfortunately. And um, marijuana, back when I was working in the laboratory, uh, I was seeing a lot of marijuana, um, PCP, syrup, all different types of drugs. So over the course of your 20 years, and this is this is kind of interesting, actually, because marijuana became decriminalized in Philadelphia, I think, in 2014, was it? Um, yeah, 2014. So you were obviously working there during that time. What Are there trends in drugs? Like this year, this drug was really hot, and, and then marijuana got decriminalized. Now you don't see that as much after that. Like, how, do, how could you speak about that? So when I was working in the laboratory during that time, 
we were still getting a lot of marijuana samples and it, it we have to weigh the drugs. So I believe it was 30 milligrams. So if someone, I believe it's still that way. I'm not sure if they were caught with 30 milligrams of drugs, it was a fine. They would get, they would get fined or they would have to do some time in jail. But it, it wasn't as, um, you know, like forced like it was before as far as like what the laws were with marijuana. But I know e- even ever since I left, we have the 2018 farm bill that was passed. So that wasn't in effect while I was working in the laboratory with the hemp oh, okay. can of marijuana. So what would you say is is the most common drug that you see? I, I guess that varies from city to city, but in the Philadelphia area, what's the most common drug that you would come across? I would say the most common drug in Philly, uh, of course, is heroin. Promethazine with codeine uh, on the streets, they call it lean and crack cocaine. Is that like the the cough medicine with the codeine? Yeah. Pro- oh, that's interesting. We, I mean, I've analyzed so much of that, and and it's unfortunate, but a lot of people, um, you even see uh, rappers and singers still drinking it, like it's a soda or something. So promethazine with codeine is heavily abused um that's that's really interesting so in our lab we use uh in the medical lab we use something called universal precautions which is like we don't know what specimen we're touching or what person we're touching and what disease they might have so we always go in with every person thinking that they have hiv hep c like the worst stuff and do you guys do something like that when you handle drugs just because Certain ones, if you touch or something, could maybe you could have an exposure to. Do you have you ever heard of anyone in your field having like an accidental exposure to a drug? So I don't know of anyone that had exposure to drugs, but we definitely have received drugs and I've analyzed drugs from mules, people that were muling drugs. Uh, we receive drugs where the evidence bag was marked uh, HEP or HIV. So we knew to take extra precautions. We had a biohazard bucket that we had to make sure we disposed of of things properly. And we also had to make sure we wore PPE at all times. Uh, I've had colleagues that had to analyze some nasty cases from people who may have uh, drugs and feces. Of course, we've had drugs that had blood on it. So... Yeah, I've analyzed a lot of those type of drugs, and I've also had saw colleagues who had really nasty cases as well. So, yeah, we always had to take precautions while analyzing drugs because they come from everywhere. It could come from someone's body cavity or the dumpster or the ground. <laughs> so we saw a lot of gross things. And what about fentanyl? Like, we're, we're, I'm not really too familiar with it, but you hear about these cases of of police officers being exposed to little amounts and and passing out. Do you think that that's some because there is a debate if that's possible or not? And just these minimal amounts people are exposed to, they're they're having reactions to. It, is that something that you guys have been trained for? Yeah, that's true. Actually, that was the turning point for me where I decided I didn't want to work in a laboratory anymore when I had to get Narcan training. So we, oh, wow. yeah, we, we were seeing a lot of heroin 
spike with fentanyl before it was public knowledge of it, before it was mainstream. We were seeing it in the laboratory. The medical examiners were, they communicate with the laboratories, especially if it's the just dr the drug unit, it, do it doesn't matter. And they were seeing overdoses and, and we were seeing it in drugs. And um, yeah, we had to get Narcan training and that changed our PPE. It went from us wearing thin nitrile gloves to having to wear thicker gloves. And when you're working with thicker gloves, it's much harder to open up the little Coke packets or marijuana packets or the heroin packets. Um, we had to we had to wear the N95 masks and we had to do that because fentanyl was not only in um, the heroin, it could be in Coke, it could be in any powder. So they wanted us to be careful. And because it's so deadly, even with micro doses of it being in contact with your skin or inhaling it, I, I was just at the point where, you know, I, I'm ready to go over to uh, <laughs> quality assurance at this point. And that was right then where I was, I just was like, this is, it's just too much. Yeah. It's not worth your life, right? <laughs> no. I, I, I totally understand, it, especially when you're a mom and everything. It's just kind of like, this would be so stupid if I died at my job right now because of this. Yeah. Like having to give someone Narcan and you know, that's something that we should be trained to do, but yeah, yeah, I did. I had to get Narcan training, so Oh my God, that's so scary. So when you have all these drugs in the lab, what happens to the drugs after you guys are done testing with them? So after we're done testing the drugs, we have to package the drugs back up in the evidence bag, make sure that it's sealed properly. And then it goes back to the um, evidence locker and it remains there until the case goes to court or the case is, is done with and they are able to destroy the drugs after a certain amount of years when the case is over. So when they do that, do they just bring them to a place and and incinerate them or something like what, how does that go? <laughs> yeah, it always goes to this secret location. We never know where those drugs, they call it a burn. Those drugs are like you say, an incinerator and we don't know the location of where it goes. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. As a forensic scientist, do you ever have to go on the scene? So you said they do field testing. That's when they test where they find it. Is that something a person like you would do or is that just something that the police do? So the police officers have something called a field test kit and it contains the same chemicals that we use to test certain drugs. So I'll do field test testing for cocaine, marijuana and heroin and I think methamphetamine, but um, it's the same chemicals and they do it for like to see if it's actually that drug that that person is getting um, arrested for. And then they could use those results in preliminary hearing, but oh, okay. we still have to retest it because when we test it, it's done in a more controlled environment. Um, forensic scientists are not required to go out on the field. And, and that's the misconception about our job because many people, they watch a lot of television and they assume <laughs> that we're out on the crime scene, collecting the drugs and bringing it back and testing it. However, I have met some forensic scientists in different parts of the country who actually go out to the scene and they come into the laboratory and they analyze the drugs. And But the jurisdiction where I worked, we didn't do that. We were strictly in the laboratory 
all day. It wasn't nothing glamorous like people see on television. And uh, although I was invited to go out to scenes by the crime scene unit, I was never interested in going out to the scenes <laughs> to just to see like ride alongs to see what they I did. I never did a ride along to see how they collected evidence. What we did was we were in the laboratory all day at our bench working our cases. We had cases assigned to us every day. So say, for example, you would get 10 cases a day or it depended on your inventory. So if you already had like 30 cases in your lock bin, everybody in the laboratory who was a chemist had their own lock bin. We, we had the key. It was locked. We had to make sure that we secured our evidence because chain of custody is very important. We have to make sure that we know where the evidence is at all times. If it's not with us, then it's in the evidence locker and we have to track it. But um, yeah, I'm, people will always ask me about going out on a scene. I've never been out on a crime scene. It's funny because a common theme that's coming up in these interviews when I'm interviewing all these scientists is that like they say it's not like it is on TV and it looks I think a lot of people watch all these TV shows and they think it's so glamorous and it looks like the coolest job ever. I even tell a lot of my followers on Instagram that I make the job look way cooler than it is because it's just like <laughs> kind of a drag work in there, you know? Yeah. It's, um, yeah. it's like working in a cubicle all day. Like It's it not is. very exciting. <laughs> and you do have, and I did have a, a, a cubicle. <laughs> so we have our administrative area outside of the laboratory where we have a I know where I worked at, I, we, we had our own desk. So, and it was kind of plush. Like we had our own desk. We had lab assistants who made the reagents. Then we would go in the laboratory and we would work at our bench. So we had fume hoods and microscopes and scales and instruments that we use. So it is really cool to, but it's, it's like repetitious is you do the same thing every day. The only thing that changes is the the drugs and the amount of drugs. You get, you analyze the same drugs, but the amount changes. It's a lot of paperwork. It's it's a it's a tedious job. It's not easy. Yeah, and it's important because you could be responsible for sending someone to jail for a long time. So that weighs on your shoulders a lot. I'm sure you don't want anybody serving time that shouldn't be. You know. Yeah, and that's why every um, report that we put out. Uh, it's it's peer reviewed by another analyst to make sure that those tests were performed correctly, that you have the correct results. So in a drug unit is not as likely as someone to to prop, you know, I'm, I know it's in the news sometimes somebody tested the wrong drug, but we we have so many checks and balances. We have a quality assurance program. We have peer reviews. It's not like you're examining a drug case and then you're just putting the results out. I know there's some laboratories that had some issues with people doing it because they they didn't have a really uh, a tight quality assurance program or maybe they weren't accredited, but you could you can be accredited and still could be mistakes being accredited doesn't mean that you're not going to make any mistakes. So I'm just trying to see if we could figure out just the the scale of of the Philadelphia lab. So you you worked at, you said Ethan Race, was it, at the so at used, that circular building that used so to be I there? Used, I started out at Ethan Race, and then we moved to Ethan Poplar. So, oh, okay. the uh, 
um, the Forensic Science Laboratory of Philadelphia is at Eighth and Poplar. And that was the only one for the entire city. That is the only one for the entire city. So inside of that building, you have the crime scene unit, the criminalistics unit, uh, which is made up of um, also DNA, the DNA unit, patents, documents, firearms, crime scene, documents, all. And how many people were working there that were doing your job exactly? I would say in the chemistry unit, it was a lot of us. It had to be about, I don't know, 20-something of us. Yeah, 25 of us, maybe. And and then you get, you were, like, what would be the average of cases that you would work on a day? The average cases, I used to work on a day uh, before I became a senior analyst and I wasn't getting as many cases. Probably was like, I always had at least... 15 to 20 cases, maybe. I mean, that's a lot for yeah. 20 feet, yeah. for twenty right. people to each have that many yeah. cases. I remember when we, when we get the cases, the cases go in sequential order of numbers. You know, it, it's the year and then the number of case it is. I remember when I was working, we were up like almost 30,000 cases for the year. Reach. Wow. There's a lot of drugs in Philly. I mean, yeah. So <laughs> clearly. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember seeing numbers like over 20,000, almost 30,000 cases. Oh, my there. God. Yeah. Just by you looking at the lab ID number. It's funny how you say like the job's kind of like a boring office job and it, it's like your friends you're eating lunch with are like checking guns and doing DNA and, and all this stuff. It's it it just I understand though totally you're yeah. working with all this crazy stuff but after for every person you just get used to it after a while yeah you get used to it I mean you get used to um laying out hundreds of packets of blue glaze heroin packets I mean that's the thing in Philly our um, heroin packets are blue glaze packets inside of a glassy it's a glassy blue glaze packet inside of a clear packet with logos. So that's our thing with uh, heroin. And you you just see different logos and you see all different types of pills and you could be working on a, a, a brick of marijuana. Uh, you could get a bag full of marijuana plants. Or, oh, wow. yeah. so, see, I think this is cool. <laughs> it's cool though because their whole day is you analyzing drugs, doing your cases, you go from case to case, you got to, um, test it. You do um, presumptive color tests. Uh, all drugs have different color tests we have to do. And this is a part of your training. When you get trained, you ha- you have to go through the uh, the different type of classes of drugs, the theory, and you have to take competency exams. You have to do mock trials. You have to do... Uh, even- it's, it's like you're constantly learning all the time. It's, it's never ending. This episode is being brought to you today by my book, Nicole and Jemmy's Anatomy. If you didn't get what you wanted this holiday season, you're going to want this book. It is a tour through the human body, starting with A through Z, and it tells you all the different things that could go wrong with your body. And a little unknown fact about this book is that there are multiple members of my family in this book, including my handsome husband, my dad, my aunt, 
and my sister-in-law. So check it out. You can go to thedoramater.com slash book and find where you can get this great book. So speaking of learning, you're, so you're working here at this really boring job. <laughs> and then you decide that, I, ha, how did you come up with the decision that you were going to start this, this huge nonprofit organization? Like what gave you the idea to start that? So I, I just was coming across a lot of people. It didn't matter if I was going, to, you probably experienced it. You go to the doctor's office, you go anywhere. And as soon as they ask me what I do, they start talking to me forever. They're just so fascinated by what I do. And then I was coming across a lot of college students and high school students and even career changers who wanted to get into the field, but they didn't have no mentorship. They didn't know where to start. So I had this crazy idea where I never, I didn't know nothing about starting a nonprofit. I, it was in 2010. So I was in my thirties, like early thirties. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to help people and it didn't start off right away as a nonprofit. I know I had to come up with a name and I just came up with a name like, OK, there are no woman owned, especially black owned organizations to help people in forensics. And I asked some of my friends who were forensic scientists working in the laboratory from each unit to help. I had a friend in firearms and a friend in, um, in uh, serology and I in chemistry and I just asked you want to help so I started doing classes at the rec center around my way and at this other stem center and I just started doing workshops I was doing networking events and I was doing this before there it was only Facebook Instagram didn't exist I don't think Twitter existed so how I was getting the word out I was just uh, posting stuff on Facebook and I, I had started a blog and I remember uh, I remember interviewing you for my blog. It was the Women in Forensics blog. That was afterwards. But um, it was it was just solely driven by my passion of wanting to help people. That's it. I wanted to do something. I saw there was a need. And I just was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start an organization and I'm going to call it this. And it just went from there. It's so awesome. Like I, I, I'm thinking like we kind of go way back. I, I met you before I even had my little kids. And um, I remember I have this good story of you asked me to do some event. I think it was, I don't even know what the neighborhood was. Um, do you know where I'm yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah, you came and did our um, murder mystery event, M murder of a prom queen. It was in Germantown. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So that w that was cool and. I had just had, when you asked me to do it, I just had Lillian. She was less than one month old. And I said, I, I don't know, like, I can't, I'm breastfeeding this kid. I don't even know how to pump yet. Like, I'm, and, and you just were so cool. Like, just bring your kid with you. I'll and, and I thought, like, I was like, that's, this is what's great about the women thing. Cause it's like, you get, yeah, you got that. Right. So I went yeah. there to that event with my mom. My mom came with me and I had her dealing with Lillian when she was a month old while I was doing my thing. Yep. And I have this picture of Lillian in the um, stroller, one month old, like all slouched over well, in front of my autopsy tools. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Actually, you did two events. Okay, that was the first event. That was the Philadelphia Science Festival event. We did a murder mystery. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you came to my other event. But yeah, you were always cool. I mean, I met you when you was I heart 
autopsy. You're black. Yeah. <laughs> the master, this is so dope. Like, I want to know more. Yeah, it's really cool. And then I got to meet a lot of your friends, too, that that also do really cool jobs doing the DNA and everything like that. And it's yeah. like this full circle of everything coming together. It's just yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also have a picture with you from like one of the Mooter events. Was that the was the prom queen one there? Or oh, no, there was another one. Their event. So we used to always see each other there every year. Yeah. The Mooter event. And wait, I forgot you did. No, you did three events because you came to one of my Beyond Crime Season autopsies at a restaurant. Oh, yeah. Green Soul. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. That the one on Broad Street there. Yeah. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah, that was a, that was a cool night. Yeah. I, I love what you're doing because it's it's really it's just so cool to introduce kids. And you have you sent me a couple years ago this this T-shirt that said junior forensic scientist or forensic scientist in training. Yeah. Junior forensic squad, I think. Was it junior forensic squad? Yeah, yes. it was. Well, my kid wore it every day and all the kids at school were like, where'd you get that? It's so cool. But she finally grew out of it. I still saved it aside because I'm like, this yeah, is just another, like cool. Another shirt. Yeah. So you're still doing that too, like making shirts and stuff for for well i saw the barbie theme one you have which is amazing <laughs> yeah it's the streetforensics.com one um it's on streetforensics.com so i do all science shirts and stickers and and uh hoodies yeah so that's that's one of my um my babies too is streetforensics.com to do stuff on there yeah that's so cool. So I, I know that there's, I've been hearing a lot of high school kids say that they offer forensics classes now in high school sometimes. Do you have any involvement with those sort of things? So I do, um, I, I do bring clubs for silly forensics to schools. I do contract with certain schools. I, I still come out to schools and do career days. I also still run my own um, club fully forensics program. I was doing it at the MAG in Mount Erie. My last class was in December. So although I'm not working in the laboratory no more, it's still I'm still connected to wanting to help youth to mentor them and give them guidance to get in the field um, if that's what they want to do to get exposed to it. I love that. Do you ever have I mean, because now you've been doing it so long. Do you have people come up to you that say, hey, you helped me and now I've went through school and graduated. And I'm doing this career. Yeah, I it's, it's it's like I'm like wow, like yeah, I have people that come up to me who are adults that were in my class when they were little kids, or or they either graduated and are working in a field, or they decided th it wasn't for them and they changed <laughs> major. But I have parents get in touch with me, students still DM me, and yeah, it's. It's a, uh, it's it's like what I really like to do. I enjoy doing it. It's cool too because I know since we're in a similar field where you kind of go to work in a lab all day and nobody ever says thank you and you can't really tell that you're making a difference. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, you sit if you're sitting there just analyzing drugs all day, you you know that you're making a difference, but really, it's just different when you're when you're hearing it from actual people, you know. Yeah, it's more fulfilling. You feel appreciated, like you said. Um, I, I didn't find my field to be too welcoming. Like STEM, being a scientist, it's it, it's still 
I would, it's a lot of women, but it's still male dominated when it comes to people who are in like the leadership positions. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I left. Yeah, I was wondering that too, because when, when I feel like when I started, it's it it went from being a more male dominated field in pathology, and then at some point, it was like every single person that was in the program was a woman. Yeah, <laughs> at, for training, which was really interesting. Yeah, right? same here. Yeah, same. I, I experienced the same. It's just that we need to see more women uh, directors and lab managers, especially when you're working with the police. It's it's just so much testosterone. And, and you see women around, but it, again, you know what, what it is when you're working in these certain environments. <laughs> so, Yeah, and the lab is always, I always have this theory on the lab too, is that when you're at the hospital and you're a nurse or something, or you're even when you're the police, you have interactions with other people. When you work in the lab, you only have interactions with your coworkers, and sometimes it could get nasty because it's you. Like it, I feel like if you work on the floor, the nurse could be like, "Oh my god, that patient sucks," or whatever, you know. <laughs> but but for us in the lab, it's just like, no, my coworker sucks. Like they're the only ones that are getting on my nerves right now, right? Yeah, yeah, you're very isolated from everybody because again, you're only seeing your coworkers every day. Now, when I transferred over to quality assurance, I was working even more with the police and the commanding officers. And that was a totally different experience. Yeah. And I, I feel like that would be, that's how it was like, in the lab, we might have the occasional person come and drop off a specimen, but that was it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if we got to leave for lunch, like that would be like other human interaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we would have, you know, of course, we would come across lawyers and paralegals that would come into the laboratory and they wanted to review a case before the before the trial or whatever. So, yeah, but we were mostly just cooped up and the admin area in our cubicle you just see the same people every day oh my <laughs> gives me bad flashbacks yeah i know that's why I, ha- I have no desire to go back to yeah i'm i feel that way too i'm good going once in a while and like i don't need that as a full-time job anymore no thanks in here i'm good well, i did i did enough time you know and now i'm doing things that are more, you know, make me happy. <laughs> so it's funny how we're referring to our old careers as prison time. Like I did my t- yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how you feel. Like as you get older, you you just change. You you change and you know, you have a when I started I didn't have a daughter, you know, I and especially when you start a family, you want to spend more time with your family than you spend at the job. So I know that your women in forensics program is based out of Philly, but is that something, are you able to help youth like all over the country, not just specifically in Philadelphia? Do you do like online programs or anything? Yeah, I do. I Especially during COVID, that's when my virtual stuff started with me doing um, Club Philly. I did a Club Philly forensics virtual program and I had a student help me. She was so helpful with that. And she taught the classes. And after after that, I realized, you know, I want to do virtual stuff more. So that's why my membership that I have, it's all virtual. So that way I can reach people from all over the country, from all over the world, which I do have a a global following. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I I like meeting people from all over. It was 
it was just me getting used to the time zones, you know, <laughs> being able to accommodate people from different time zones. And yeah, I, that's the goal for me, really. One of them is to do more things that are digital. It's cool, too, because you can learn. I know I know in my specific pathology, just learning what other countries do, they, they don't have the same exact process as us when when handling natural deaths or any kind of deaths or anything. So it's really interesting to learn what they do in other countries. Are you finding that, too, that yeah, yes. their whole other systems are just different? Yeah, I, I am finding out, finding that out. Like I have, um, like doc, her name is Dr. Abu Zahir. She's from Morocco and she's, the way they're trained in medical legal death investigation and what they're able to do is different than the U.S. And, and that's why I tell a lot of people, like you don't have to stay confined to the United States. You could think about going outside of the country to get a job. And I, I think that's what a lot of people don't think about when they want to go into forensics. If they can't find a job here, they don't think about relocating to a different country or, in a, or a different continent, a continent. You know, you don't have to stay here. You can go somewhere. Yeah. And it is it is cool because you have to like, I understand that people, Americans don't think that way, but you're like, guess what? There's drugs in other countries yeah. and people murder people in other yes, countries. Exactly. And you know what we do is global. So you meet different people and your system is different. And it's so interesting to get out there and meet people who are who speak different languages and who don't practice things the same way you do. So I just think that's part of us being American. Like we You need to go visit your friend in Morocco. It's that's like on my list. <laughs> yeah, she she I think she's in Casablanca. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. And she's she's done a, a Beyond Crime Scenes and Autopsies for me like three times and she's so nice and and I and I meet so many people who want to help. I've met more people outside of the country who wants to support and do things with women in forensics than people in the United States, like a uh, worldwide association of women forensic experts. Like she's in Italy and I'm like, oh, that's an cool. Best coordinator with her, Anna Barbaro, and she's real helpful. So it's, yeah, it's like you, I've kind of been able to see the world without me physically being there just by me meeting these people. And, and that's been kind of also one of my interests is to get out of and travel and meet other people outside and forensics and see what's what's different about what they do i love that yeah thank you so so now that you're you're retired (laughs) from the from the police department what what's next for you i know that you're just going to continue to do this which is awesome do you have any other any other interest in doing anything else yeah, so I so I do like out of school time um, working with after school programs. So I do that as well, and I just want to continue to um, run my club Philly forensics program and, sh- and grow street forensics, and also uh, create like educational like resources for youth who are interested in forensics because I love art. So I like creating stuff that they could use to uh, be able to learn more about the field. Yeah, but... You know what's interesting, too, with all these interviews? I, I noticed that a lot of scientists that are in this field are are artists as well. Like, I mm-hmm. consider myself to be an artist. Yeah. And 
we just interviewed someone last week who's a forensic artist. She does the um, composite sketches and also the the clay bone sculpture. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just cool because sometimes when you have one of these jobs that's super science-based, you need this like other outlet to get your art stuff out. Yeah. So, um, all right. So let's tell everybody where they can find it because you have a lot of different things going on, but- Let's start off with the the clothes. That was um, the street forensics, right? The, yes. Those shirts mm-hmm. are really cute. What's Thank the you. that website? Uh, so that's streetforensics.com. So that's street, S-T-R-E-E-T, forensics.com. And then I have awifs.org, A-W-I-F as in Frank, S as in Sam.org. And I also have a membership, which is my Patreon forward slash women in forensics, where people can join and be able to meet with me. Uh, twice a month and I have guest speakers to talk about how they can start a career in forensics and that's awesome and my handles women in forensics on Instagram and street forensics Instagram Mm -hmm. thank you yeah I think your I think your Patreon page is really good because it's it's almost like having a like a guidance counselor specific to what you want to do that actually knows yeah the right advice to give you yes thank you yeah I appreciate that being as though you've had a membership for so many years. I mean, you the pioneer in all of it. No one was doing what you were doing when you started. Like, so oh, thank you. I'm proud of what you're doing. I'm so proud of what you're doing too. It's yeah. awesome. Thanks so much for being here today. Of course, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you having me on your platform, and you always been supportive for years. So, of course, anything for you, you're awesome. Oh, you too. Thanks, Nicole. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Mother Knows Death. As a reminder, my training is as a pathologist assistant. I have a master's level education and specialize in anatomy and pathology education. I am not a doctor and I have not diagnosed or treated anyone, dead or alive, without the assistance of a licensed medical doctor. This show, my website, and social media accounts are designed to educate and inform people based on my experience working in pathology so they can make healthier decisions regarding their life and well-being. Always remember that science is changing every day and the opinions expressed in this episode are based on my knowledge of those subjects at the time of publication. If you are having a medical problem, have a medical question, or are having a medical emergency, please contact your physician or visit an urgent care center, emergency room, or hospital. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Mother Knows Death on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks.